All right. All right, everyone, take your seats and be on your best behavior. We have a special guest today, so please take your seats. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Change Academy podcast, a show where we share tools and strategies for creating and living your best life. I'm Monica Reinagel, and today we're departing a bit from our usual format and welcoming a guest to the show. Heather Hutchison is a singer, songwriter, and the author of a new memoir, Holding On by Letting Go. Heather has been blind since birth, and one of the things she hopes to do through her music and writing is to educate people about disability and mental health. One of the concepts that she explores in her book is the idea of radical acceptance. Now, you'll probably remember that term because Brock introduced it in our recent episode on coping. So we thought it would be great to have Heather on the show to talk more about that. Please enjoy this conversation between my co-host, Brock Armstrong, and Heather Hutchison. So I'm really excited and really happy to have a friend as well as a very knowledgeable guest on the podcast today. My friend Heather Hutchison is here with me today. Hello, Heather. Hello. You know what? Before we get into our main topic for today, you wrote a memoir, and that's unusual for somebody who's as young as you are. So can you let the people know why you thought your story at this point was really important to tell? Yeah, I just really wanted to, there was a couple of things I was hoping to accomplish with it, educate people in a way that I was comfortable with on life as a blind person and what it's been like for me um, growing up both in Canada and in Latin America. And then the second kind of theme or goal was I really wanted to talk about because last year I was hospitalized for psychiatric care. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to kind of break down those barriers and really talk about that and talk about what it was like. Because when I was actually going through it, and I was admitted to the hospital, my family was looking for answers and information online. And there's just not a lot out there except for kind of some textbook official documentation on the Mental Health Act. But there's not a lot out there of experiences of what it's actually like to go through that and, you know, to be admitted, to be in treatment in one of those facilities, which is really unfortunate because lack of knowledge leads to fear and that can stand mm -hmm. in the way of people getting the help that they need. You bring such a unique perspective. It's not just the story as told by the patient because you're a, you've studied psychology and you're a psychology enthusiast and also a patient and an artist. I think those that just made the story and the message so much more powerful because you were while you were in the moment as a patient, you were also analyzing yeah, it, or, yeah. or at least you're presenting it in the book as uh, as an educational tool, yeah. and and taking that sort of and that the higher level view of it mm -hmm. while you were actually in the moment. So it's I think it's such a unique way to tell the the story and such a great way for someone like me to learn about it. Thank you. The reason that I've got you on today is in your book, you reference something that I think is really, really important, and that is the theory of radical acceptance. It deserves an entire episode of its own. So that is why I wanted to have you on today, because you, I know you have some experience with it and you've used it in your own life. But before we get into examples and stuff like that, Heather, can you 
fill in the audience, let them know what the heck is radical acceptance. The theory of radical acceptance is the idea of accepting ourselves and our circumstances for what they are and not what we wish they were, which doesn't mean necessarily that we have to like them or that we can't take steps to better ourselves. Mm. Acceptance doesn't mean complacency or indifference, but it helps us to take stock of the things we can control and leave the rest. For me, it's been a really important tool because of my blindness. There is a lot that comes with the territory of having a disability that is beyond our control. Yeah, the next time I'm feeling sorry for myself, I'll remind myself of the fact that I have no idea what people like you are really going through. And we'll definitely get into more of that in a bit. But, you know, the other night I was lying in bed awake and I thought of a a definition I think kind of sums up radical acceptance really well. This is my version. So this is happening. It's not ideal and it may even suck, but this is happening. No matter how I feel about it, it is happening. So pretending it's not or shutting my eyes or getting mad about it actually happening is not a productive thing to do. So how else can I how else can I look at this? How else can I deal with this situation other than getting mad, getting emotional? And I'm sure there are some like psychologists out there that are rolling their eyes right now, but I I think that kind of kind of sums it up, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to do that thing where uh that I think of all authors <laughs> absolutely love. I'm going to quote your own book back to you. So in your book, you wrote that DBT or dialectical behavior therapy, which is basically radical acceptance, focuses on learning to accept what is out of our control while teaching healthy coping skills to replace unhealthy, negative, and or dangerous behaviors. And now if I remember correctly, that was uh, one of the psychiatric nurses that was having that conversation with you. So after you had that conversation or through that conversation, what did you do with that idea of the DBT or radical acceptance? Before the conversation with the nurse, I'd been talking that day with one of the psychiatrists about the theory of radical acceptance, which was a concept I was very familiar with. We'd talked about it a lot in therapy before, and I'd mostly ignored it. But that day, the psychiatrist said to me, You know, you fight other people's perceptions of your blindness. You spend so much energy on that. But maybe part of your healing and your acceptance could be accepting that you're in a place or a time when you're able to show someone else what it is to overcome adversity. And my initial reaction was to be really angry. And I asked him, well, who gets to decide that that's my purpose? Right. And I was thinking, but I didn't ask for this. I don't want to be anyone's inspiration. And my inner five-year-old was having a bit of a tantrum over it. <laughs> yeah. So I did spend quite a bit of time reading about the theory of radical acceptance when I was still in the hospital. There tends to be a lot of downtime in a psychiatric ward. And in my reading, I guess I kind of realized that When I asked the psychiatrist that question, who gets to decide that's my purpose, I realized that 
as much as I don't like it and as much as I wish I could be the one to make that decision, Mm -hmm. the person making that decision is not actually me and it's completely out of my control. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can totally, I I get that. And that really is a great illustration of where something like radical acceptance really can come into play. But it's really great that you actually had some prior knowledge of radical acceptance before this moment. Otherwise, that would have, your inner five-year-old would have really freaked out. (laughs) And I know a lot of people who are probably listening to this podcast right now, this may be their, their first exposure to the idea of radical acceptance. But it actually has some some really deep roots, like going all the way back to like like ancient philosophies like Zen and Buddhism and stuff like that. It's not a it's not necessarily a, a new philosophy by any means. In fact, the the practice of acceptance and non attachment are both critical to Zen and Buddhism practice, but they're also really easily misunderstood in the same way that you were just alluding to. It can sound like we're being asked to not care about things and not try to change things for the better, but fortunately that's not what Zen or Buddhism um, preaches at all. Yes. So again, just sort of reinforcing that idea that by accepting something, it doesn't mean you have to agree with it and that you don't want to change it. So so what the heck does it mean, Heather? (laughs) I guess it means... You know, just really focusing on living in the moment. So mindfulness, because focusing on fighting with the past or fearing for the future is just creating more suffering than the actual situation itself. And it sounds like not taking things so darn personally is a big part of that. Yes. Is it about you? Probably not. Yeah, so I like what you said about thinking about the the past and also the future. Maybe you can give some examples of how you use it in, in your life, and maybe that'll make it a little more clear. For a, a fairly broad example, social anxiety is something that I've really struggled with. Um, Ooh, it got me to too, pretty, me too. <laughs> <laughs> it got to be pretty debilitating. And, you know, for me, part of it was being a blind person and growing up sort of faced with that discrimination or people, you know, believing that I was less capable than what I actually was, people talking down to me, just people being really uncomfortable around me a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. or not wanting to speak to me directly. If there was somebody else with me, they would direct the question to that other person. And I really started to take that on as me. So oh, if I was better, if I was more competent, if I were more confident, if I was just more and more and more, then these things wouldn't be happening. But what I wasn't taking into account was the fact that these people were all coming from their own experience. And honestly, I could be the most competent accomplished person ever and there will still be people out there who are impressed that I'm able to tie my own shoes Mm. and that's that's not about me that's not something I can control that's them yeah and speaking as somebody who's known Heather for as long as I have there there really are people out there who have that frame of reference I guess wherever the heck it came from that somebody who is visually impaired I don't know shouldn't be able to do certain things and as much as I was always so proud of everything that you did in our time that we worked together. 
it wasn't from a, a perspective of not judging you as somebody who is my equal. It was just judging you as somebody who I wanted to succeed and have, yeah. a, have a great life. Which I really appreciated because honestly, there's a lot of people out there who are not like that. Yeah. And I guess, again, like bringing this back to the radical acceptance sort of idea, not like you said, not taking it personally and realizing that this isn't about you, that there was no amount of anything that you could do to mm -hmm. make them behave differently. And I feel like that sort of acceptance can yeah. allow you to to take action that is a lot more I don't know, thoughtful, I guess, or a lot more skillful yes. instead of a knee-jerk reaction. Because when we're feeling emotional, of course, we we react in the instance. We react quite badly sometimes <laughs> and, and certainly not logically. So did you find that when you were able to to distance yourself from there that you you took different action? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a process. It's something you don't solve in one day. And it's something that I'm very much still working on. But yeah, I think that that overall, if I'm able to kind of stop in the moment and go, hey, look, this is nothing that I did. It doesn't reflect on me being incompetent. It's just this person and I can't control their reaction. So I'm not going to try. Well, and in reading your book, I really got the idea that you sort of turned your philosophy or your objective in the world to helping people understand a little bit better and giving them an education. Yeah. Even though it's not your duty to go around no. educating people about your own disability, but you did take on that sort of role. And did that, did you find that helped you? Yeah. In the ways I'm comfortable with, I really do enjoy educating. And I think it's, it's very important. There are times that I would really rather not, like when somebody comes up to me on the street and kind of goes, what's it like being blind? And it's kind of like, you know, I have to protect myself a little bit from that. And again, realize and accept what my limitations are and what I can and can't do to educate people. So, you know, through writing, even through music, those are things that I'm comfortable to do to help educate people. Talking to random strangers on the street, not so much. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know you and I have had uh, had many conversations about this. I know it's not really the same thing, but I'm colorblind. And when people find out that I'm colorblind, I would say probably 90, at least 90% of the time, somebody, when they find that out for the first time, they will point to their shirt or something <laughs> around and say, well, what color do you think this is? And I'm like, and the same sort of thing, like I could either get angry and I did for for many years or just try to joke it off or something. But now I've actually arrived at somewhere in between. I think my reaction is generally, I don't know, I'm colorblind. <laughs> and and then they always persist and say, yeah, but what color do you think it is? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm colorblind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being a bit of a jerk, but I'm also trying to educate them that I don't think about it in that way because I don't see color. So, yeah, yeah. I get that with how many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> right. So I guess in a, like taking it out of sort of the, the realm of having some, some vision issues that both of us have, I was actually thinking about some other ways in, in my life that I've been sort of almost uh, 
instinctively, I guess, or by accident, practicing some radical acceptance. And I actually had to do some yesterday when I woke up in the morning and noticed that a deer had basically gone through our backyard and ravaged every one of the yummy plants that we had so lovingly and <laughs> and meticulously planted in our backyard. And, you know, like my first sort of instinct, that first knee-jerk reaction was to just hate the deers and want to call pest control and do something to get them out of my life. And then I took that moment, accepted the fact that the deers have just as much right to be here as we do, and they're just doing what deers do. And so just sort of accepting that and then realizing, okay, they're here, they're going to eat plants. What can I do to sort of mitigate the damage that they can do to the things that are bringing me joy as well so we can both coexist in in this moment? So again, it wasn't about just giving up and being like, oh, well, I guess my plants are going to be ruined, whatever. It was actually like, okay, they're going to eat plants because that's what deers do. What can I do to to mitigate this so we can both be happy, <laughs> basically? Yeah. What part of this is in your control and what part of it isn't? Right. Yeah. I think there's so much of that that we forget to do when somebody is making us mad or we feel like it's an unfair situation. We forget to uh, to take that that next step. So I know you've got some other examples of how you use this in your life as well. I think a big one for me is not taking it personally when, you know, maybe somebody doesn't respond to a text or I'm working on a project with somebody and they're late Mm. and you can make it about yourself and tell yourself all these things like, I'm not important to this person. They don't value the work that I'm doing. They don't respect me. But really, we don't know what's going on in those other people's lives. So, you know, we can take steps to moderate our own reaction to the situation. But we really have no idea of what is going on in that person's life at the same time. And it 99% of the time is not about us. You know, what you just described right there in uh, cognitive behavior therapy or in cognitive behavior theory, we refer to that as cognitive flexibility. And that's, I, I think I sort of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but acknowledging that the way that we interpret the world is only through the lens of our limited experience and our limited exposure to what other people are going through and what other people are doing. So it's very likely, at least somewhat, that what we're assuming is actually incorrect, or at least it's heavily biased in in our sort of view of things. So yeah, you're right. You have no idea what that person's life is actually like. Maybe they've shared with you some really personal details. Maybe they haven't. But we just don't know what's going on. And we really, I think a big step in radical acceptance is acknowledging that we really don't know. And a lot of our interpretation of the world is going to be wrong. Like just the way that I guess people were were incorrectly assuming things about you just because you're visually impaired. Yeah. Yeah. We all have our own, you know, biases and, and places that we're coming from to come up with our own interpretations of situations that can be, you know, really off base. So aside from sort of, I guess, theoretically talking about this whole idea of being able to, to make this radical acceptance, what would you say is sort of the, the key to, to making it happen? Like, obviously, we need to practice it so we can do it right in the moment. But what would be the first sort of step that you think people could start 
thinking about in terms of having that moment to to have some clarity, have some humility, and and allow for that skillful action rather than the knee jerk reaction. I think to get to the point to of acceptance, we need to accept. <laughs> that that's going to take some time and it's going to take some practice and it's okay to start with baby steps and, you know, give ourselves a bit of grace as we're going through this because it doesn't always feel natural. And, you know, we've been so programmed to react instead of stop and think about things that are outside of our control. So it, it takes a lot of work to turn that around and we won't always be successful. And, you know, that's part of of accepting things too and, and understanding that this has happened. It's in the past now. We can't control it because we can't go back and fix it. What we can do moving forward and in the present, just try to learn something from that experience to help us in the future practice the theory of radical acceptance, I guess, better and easier. The the interesting thing about it is you sort of alluded to the fact that we need to practice radical acceptance on ourselves while we're practicing it on other people by not expecting ourselves to just nail it yes. right off the bat. Like first we have to take the time to to get good at it. And then I know personally, as much as I have been practicing this since I think like 2004, or so I still have those moments where the emotion gets the best of me and it just, it comes out and I shout at the person or I get very, I don't shout, but I get very um, testy with the person who asked me what color their shirt is the third time in a row. And, and I'm not quite as composed as I want to be, but that's okay. I'll, I'm still growing. I'm still getting better. And, and most of the time I'm, I'm nailing it. So yeah, that the radical acceptance does sort of turn back on yourself as well, doesn't it? Yeah, because it's easy to get discouraged and just give up if you're expecting perfection immediately. Okay, before Brock and Heather move into the lab experiment, let me interrupt to sum up the key takeaways that I've gotten from their conversation so far. Number one, Accepting things that we can't control does not mean that we agree with them or that we stop working for positive change. It simply allows us to take more skillful action. Number two, other people's responses and reactions to you or their behavior toward you is rarely about you. So don't take everything so personally. Number three, Remember that we interpret the world through our limited experience and we rarely have all of the facts. And number four, getting to radical acceptance takes time and practice. So be patient with yourself as you learn this skill. Okay, I'm going to turn it back over to Brock and Heather to wrap things up. All right. So anybody who's been listening to this podcast for a while knows that we like to give homework because it is the Change Academy after all. So we uh, we give that homework in the form of a lab experiment. So since I have a guest here, Heather, can you sort of frame the the lab experiment that we want people to start looking at how they can implement radical acceptance into their life right away? What would be what would be a great first step? Yeah. So I think. A good first step in the practice of radical acceptance is also practicing mindfulness. Mm. So living in that current moment, not worrying about what you have to do later and how that's going to affect what you're doing now or worrying that 
past is going to repeat itself. Just really trying to be present in in where you are at any given time. And honestly, just really enjoy it. Live it fully. You know, so often we spend so much time thinking about how things are going to be in the future that we miss out on so much of what's happening right in front of us right now. I think that is such an important message in so many ways. I think that's a excellent place to wrap things up, but I wouldn't this wouldn't be a good I wouldn't be a good host if I didn't get you to tell the audience where they can find out more about you and specifically where they can find out uh, more about your book. So they can find it on Amazon or pretty much anywhere books are sold and they can visit my website heather-hutchison.com and there's also a list of of places there that they can get the book. You know what's extra cool about going to heather-hutchison.com is that you can actually find the two albums that we created together too yes. and another one. I'd love to share it with the the listening audience and you can get the book in audiobook form too, which is wonderful because you narrated it so people can hear it right in your voice. Yes. I hope everyone checks it out and and I hope everybody can learn how to practice some radical acceptance next time. I don't know, a, a naughty deer is eating all your plants or <laughs> someone comes up and asks you an inappropriate question on the street. <laughs> and um, I'm going to sum things up with what what I remember from my Buddhism time, which is the two lessons of stop resisting the way things are and to act in the world without tying everything back to your sense of self. So thanks for coming on the show, Heather. It's been awesome having you here. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. And don't forget to visit heather-hutchison.com. Thank you for listening.